Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Ryan Cooper. And I'm Alexi the Greek. And today we're looking at a academic paper by Professor Martin O'Neill, who has a paper entitled Justice, Power, and Participatory Socialism, which is on Piketty's Capital and Ideology. And uh, this is a paper we chose because it has a nice breakdown of the thousand pages (laughs) insofar as Piketty is not just doing a history, but actually making a proposal to address wealth and power inequality and making a proposal for what Piketty calls uh, participatory socialism. So uh, we thought we'd, we'd dig into what Professor O'Neill lays out here as the core elements of Piketty's, uh, both his diagnosis of the problems uh, historically and today, his offering as to how uh, ideologically and politically we could address those um, you know inequalities and, and problems of, of politics and economics, and then looking at Martin O'Neill's own addendum and, and kind of offerings, because part of uh, Piketty's text is an invitation for democratic deliberation uh, about what uh, a more democratic, more socialist uh, political economy and world would look like. So we want to do our part to to engage with both Piketty and Professor O'Neill on, on those uh, counts. That sound good, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're putting the simp in symposium. Hey, I've got my wine yeah. for the symposium, which is required of everyone. Um. Yeah, so you know how better to 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 use up a Saturday afternoon than to uh, read an <laughs> academic paper. We love. Yeah, it. it was fun. Yeah, it's a good time. Everyone should do it. We'll link to it. It'll be good. I will say, and as far I, as yeah, academic papers go, this one is is didn't put you to sleep, right? Yeah, it's it's a nice a nice little read. I, I mean, pick a T is an even better read in so far as it's the prose is just like off the wall, off the charts good for that kind of text, I'd say. Yeah, right? it's just a lot of it. So There's a lot over of it. A thousand uh, this was only this was only what, like 30 something pages. So uh, if you want to, you know, skip the thousand page pick a T text and dive into a 30 page summary, you couldn't couldn't go uh, couldn't go wrong with this one. OK, so, you know, Professor O'Neill starts out by uh, framing this in a way that Piketty doesn't, but I think is appropriate. He, he calls, uh, you know, the challenge that Piketty is answering uh, Rousseau's challenge, right? And as longtime listeners might recall from early on in the pod, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau is someone, you know, a Swiss, not French, a Swiss theorist from the 18th century That's that we've right. talked about in the pod. Yep. We got into some Rousseau, maybe we'll do some more Rousseau. Um, Rousseau is great. And one of the things he notes is that there are two different types of inequality, right? Um, there are natural inequalities, like, you know, you're born a different height than someone else. Uh, you could be a different age. You might have a natural, uh, ability, natural strength that someone else doesn't have. And so those are inequalities that, that are natural. They come, uh, literally from birth and biology and so forth. He then says there's moral and political inequality, which is not natural. And this is a very important point that Rousseau makes. He says that this is uh, – here, I'll, I'll quote at least the, the English translation I have here. The other may be called moral or political inequality because it depends on a kind of convention and is established or at least authorized by the consent of men. This latter type of inequality consists in the different privileges enjoyed by some at the expense of others, such as being richer, more honored, more powerful than they, or even causing themselves to be obeyed by them. And this is a very important distinction, because if uh, those types of inequalities, moral or political, are conventional and not natural, that means 
we collectively decided to allow or you know impose these inequalities and therefore we can choose otherwise and so this is this is a good challenge because uh as professor o'neill notes you know rousseau also says that is it is manifestly against the law of nature however defined that a child commands an old man an imbecile a wise man and a handful of people abound in superfluities while the starving multitude lacks in necessities yeah right and so that that latter reality which we've had throughout history is is one that uh that is a political choice and so the challenge of how to take on inequality is something that that Piketty uh he takes as as a starting point for his thousand-page empirical research and, and argument, uh, which is that inequality has to be justified um, or or argued to be made justifiable because it, it isn't automatically justifiable. In fact, quite the opposite. So um, so that's a good starting point for for Professor O'Neill, and then he gets into how Piketty says there are basically two different prospects today at what he says is a switch point in history where ideologies matter, ideas matter, moments of crisis often um, have these, these points where the ideas of the day will either lead that crisis moment to one type of political uh, regime or another, one type of uh, set of property relations or another. And today, it looks like the social nativist trap is, is the Trump-Bolsonaro-Orban-Modi model and the uh, what, what Piketty calls participatory socialism um, – is the other option because neoliberalism, uh, hypercapitalism has, uh, I guess, run its course or, or, or has, has produced such it's, problems and inequalities. Yeah, right? it's dying. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the opening. What, what did you, what did you think of this setup? Um. Yeah, I think it's a good uh, uh, little introduction into the 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 book. Capital and ideology, you know, I, I think, uh, you, if you read this and you read my review, <laughs> uh, you know, you can get a little sense of it. Um, you know, we were talking before about whether this is kind of like a decent cliffs notes. And I think it is in terms of conclusions, but there's a lot of very interesting data that is left out, you know, you know, by reason of length, you know, you can't, uh, recapitulate the entire thousand pages of charts, and one um and that adds a lot of like basically uh professor o'neill is sort of taking for granted all of the 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 empirical yeah the yeah. empirical stuff that he's built up and uh you know sort of proceeding from that basis but there's tons of very interesting things you know uh, for, for instance like in in uh uh maybe kind of a set of proofs like a like a demonstration of of his a uh, point that ideology has its own kind of force, you know, like a, uh, you could look at, you say, like the inequality of the Ancien Regime France, uh, it's very, very high. And it clearly, you know, you look at history was, a, was a major factor in how and why the French Revolution happened. You know, you had this class of people who were just living high on the hog. The peasants were starving. And it was all just a fucking nightmare for like 95% of the population. People are literally starving. And then you replaced it with the, the first republic and then, you know, kind of the, the later monarchy, et cetera, et cetera, a property regime 
a very bourgeois system. And it ended up that by the end of the 19th century, that society was even more unequal than Ancien Regime France. And yet it didn't suffer a revolution in the same way, though there was some political instability because the ideological cement um, was a lot stronger um, than, you know, it was in the, you know, the like people, the, the whole feudal justification for the way the system worked didn't. Uh, just to stop functioning in the, you know, 1780s. And I think, you know, there's a, there, there's a quibble there that you could make with Piketty. I, I kind of make it in my review. Uh, O'Neill kind of like glosses over it. You know, it's it, clearly ideology, you know, the success of, of, of ideology is very influenced by money, you know, like the, like the material circumstances. Um, and, and I think, I think if you were to get sit, it's like Piketty assumes he he argues that ideology is its own force, but I think if you were to ask him directly to be like, is like the the success of ideologies of property influenced by like money, profits, and so on, he would say, of course, yes. Um, and it's just a little right. bit muddy on that particular question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I note the the discussion of two different types of ideology, right? The, the ideology mm-hmm. that is is kind of. Uh, justifies the inequity, what Piketty calls the inequality regimes in, in ways that maybe you could, you could argue are just persuasive. Like people just bought into that kind of, of uh, justification. Um, but also there's the idea of ideology in the Marxist sense, which is just kind of the wool over the eyes, uh, because it's, it's merely the propaganda of the ruling class. So the ruling ideas of the day are the ruling ideas of the ruling class. Uh, and they're they're always an un, and everywhere kind of unjustifiable. Yeah, he says uh, uh, O'Neill says uh, the ideologies in the sense given to them by Marx and Engels, distorting projections that occlude the reality of social relations, thereby furthering the interests of the most advantaged social class. Yeah. And that goes on a lot, obviously. Yep. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, and, but I think on the point that Piketty is insufficiently Marxist in his understanding of history. I think that's, you know, most often levied in a way that reduces Marxism to, uh, um, to, to purely kind of, um, how should I put it? To purely making ideas epiphenomenal, right? right? Where, where, Turn where crank, ideas are economic determinism, you know, where yeah, it's, yeah. it's that, I mean, the communist manifesto definitely lends itself to that reading of history, but I think you could, you could, you could mount a reading of capital and all of his other stuff. That is, sure. is very much oh, more yeah. nuanced than that. As we said many times, he literally writes that uh, only material force can overthrow material force, but theory itself becomes a material force when it seizes the masses. And of course, that goes to the idea of like, why do people do things? Why do they struggle? Why are there class traders? And it's like, well, I wonder if ideas have anything to do with that. It's like, you know, it's it's a feedback loop, right? So ideas, especially as Piketty points out, in moments of crisis um, – can be influential and do matter, uh, but they aren't existing in a vacuum of deliberative discourse either. Obviously, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so all all of that as a as a caveat, I think you know we could dive into um, some of some of these tenets uh, that uh, you know Professor O'Neill says are part of again the the proposals, the positive proposals of Piketty, because his data, his research, uh, kind of goes into his diagnosis of the fact that historical inequality regimes, 
uh, are always accompanied by different justificatory ideologies. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, right. Well, that, I mean, and that I think speaks to, you know, what, what is the task? It's like, here we are, we're doing our podcast. It's like, we, we are not elected to Congress. We are not uh, union leaders. Like what can intellectuals do in some way? You know, we, we could try to provide a little bit of a glue, you know, like an alternative picture, something that is like, uh, uh, it's sort of doing some organic intellectual work, uh, as, as we can, as we can, uh, as, as Gramsci would say it, uh, uh, to try to contest the, uh, space for the sort of conventional wisdom and how people interpret the, you know, politics and, and, uh, uh, history and development of, uh, events. And, um, you know, I think Piketty is definitely trying to do that with this huge ass book. I mean, if I were him, I think I would come out with a Reader's Digest abridged version that was like maybe one, <laughs> one quarter as long, you know, but, but like, you, you know, you, I think he proves beyond any question that ideas matter at least to some degree. And you, and, uh, regardless of, uh, you know, your, your conception of like the, you know, Hegelian metaphysics or whatever, you, you have to admit that like you need like some kind of like functional understanding of, of what's happening. And like that's just a sort of necessary component of politics. And, you know, so that's what we're involved in here today. And what, you know, Piketty is trying to do uh, is is to like advance an alternative version to you know what what seems to me basically the dominant ideology of the moment, which is like Trumpism. You know, that is the shit that is on the advance around the world. Right wing right. nationalist, xenophobic, you know, fascist, quasi fascist, whatever you want to call it, like like far right, Schmidtian friend enemy distinction type shit. Um, and this is a perfect. This is a perfect example because what we're not talking about is is you know what Marx responded to and critiqued was you know utopian socialism, which was just if you have these good ideas of what a better future looks like, and you just talk to the people in power, they'll just be like, yeah, that does sound great. Let's just change. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Let's just be better people and relinquish our power. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So what that that that's not. But that doesn't mean that ideas don't matter in this specific way. When the material class struggle is happening and there needs to be recourse to a new way of – because we are human beings. We think normatively. We think in terms of what is versus what should be. And and when people want change, they want to, to understand why something's bad and why something else is better. And, and if you don't fill that vacuum with something actually better and good, that's where you get the, the barbarism instead of the socialism, right? And so that is – I think both the left and the right are ascendant in this way because neoliberalism is dying, right? Like in a sense. Uh, yeah. Now, granted, capitalism has been very, very like a zombie that it, like just when you think it's dead, it pops back up. But, uh, but nonetheless, I think this is important work. And, you know, the, the idea that the, tell me what you think of this, Ryan. So, so he, he, he distinguishes Piketty distinguishes, um, in public ideology, right? In, in a public ideology that is, uh, more or less explicit. It, uh, 
it is responding to two different types of questions. One about political regime, right? Which Piketty says are the set of rules describing the boundaries of the community and its territory, the mechanisms of of collective decision-making, and the political rights of its members. And then secondly, the property regime, right? The set of rules describing the different possible forms of ownership, as well as the legal and, and practical procedures for regulating property relations between different social groups. Uh, so that sounds kind of like um, political decision making and um, you know economic ownership forms, right? So combined yeah. political doesn't it? And that sounds more or less like the two things where wealth and power are located, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. Your 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 kind of surface level democracy. I guess I would I would say it's like how far does your democracy penetrate down? You know, it's like if you have a political democracy where like votes win, you know, there are a lot of different ways you could do that. Like Saddam Hussein had a lot of elections in Iraq that he won with 99.9% of the vote or whatever. Uh, But, you know, so you could have, you know, across that like multi-party elections, uh, you know, uh, outside verification, et cetera, et cetera. And then, but then going down. You could have PR system, you could have federalism. Exactly, yeah. Lots of different. Dozens of different ways of doing that. But then I think, yeah, going down, it's like how, how, uh, how economically empowered is the average citizen with regard to, you know, the, like the, the, the daily, you know, business of economic production? You know, do, do they have, uh, you know, a sort of like welfare state that will that will catch you if you ever run into problems like health or otherwise. Um, you know, do, do you uh make make like a reasonable amount of you know money or other sort of claims that would like give you access to resources and so on and so forth? And uh, yeah, and you, you could think of it as how much uh, equality and freedom versus domination is there in the public and private spheres respectively, right? Like yeah. that's one way to think of it. Um, that's not how they put it, but that's, that's one way that I would put it. Uh, so there's these different spheres and, and they dictate different types of social relations. And w- within those, there are different forms of domination or not. Yeah. Um, and he has a lot to say, right, about, you know, I think that this that speaks to this question, particularly Rawls. Um, right. Like he, 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 John, good old John Rawls, yeah. also known as Matt Brunick. <laughs> Old man Rawls's boy. Actually, have you <laughs> seen Rawls's son? Is like a conservative. I think he's at the like Heritage Foundation or something. Really unfortunate. Um, merit- yeah, the dynastic anything is bad, folks. But he 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 makes an argument that Rawls. I mean, you could probably speak to this better than I could uh, as Mister Political Theorist, but. <laughs> You know, Piketty mentions Rawls uh, in saying that, like, you know, he's very similar to his sort of basic moral principle that, you know, you you can have inequality in your society only insofar as it advantages the worst off people in society. You know, so it's like you can you can have uh, some inequality, you know, only insofar as in the counterfactual situation you know, that it's like if you have perfect equality and it's like the poorest people have one dollar of income, um, but you have some inequality and, oh, the poorest people have ten dollars of income. OK, that's the type of thing that you can use to justify. Yeah, I could, I could briefly spell out Go Rawls's, for it, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so this is from um, Theory of Justice. There's a thought experiment that that Rawls gives, which uh, you know, he says you put on a veil of ignorance, right? Which we do every day in this podcast. No, yeah, yeah. I'm ignorant about everything. I don't. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm talking about. You know, Socrates thinks that uh, Wisest is Coops, who knows he does not know. That's what <laughs> Socrates would say. That's right. Um, no, so it's crates. true. But um, Socrates, uh, Bill and Ted. Socrates. Hey, we know that name. Yeah. Hey, look him up. Oh, it's under Socrates. Oh yeah, Socrates. The only true wisdom consists in knowing that you know nothing. That's us, dude. Oh, yeah. Let's bag him. Yeah. That's the end of the preview, folks. If you want to hear the whole episode, you can go to patreon.com slash left anchor. Thanks for listening.